feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, I like your new background. It looks like you're talking you. head for a TLC uh, insert. Yeah, if I sound or look different today, it is because I am sitting crisscross applesauce um, at my parents' house. Um not in my childhood home. I'm in my uh, parents' new home, which was my grandparents' home before that. So technically, I'm in my, my grandparents' home. I'm in the spare bedroom. Uh, it's a you know snowmageddon outside. Uh, we're recording this pretty late just due to the chaos of the Christmas season in general. Um, but, you know, a little chaotic re- uh, recording for a chaotic movie, Eric, because today we are reviewing Damien Chazelle's Babylon, which is in theaters uh, now uh, for everyone uh, to watch. Eric, how are you on this fine, snowy, windy uh, morning slash afternoon? I'm good, Matt. It, it Honestly, we were talking before, it doesn't feel like Christmas is just a couple days away as we're recording this. And even watching some trashy 80s, late 80s, early 90s, holiday centric horror movies didn't even get me into the spirit of things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those years where it kind of feels as though 2022 kind of came and went in, in a lot of ways. And even with this holiday, it's kind of like, it's very passe um, in, in a way. So I don't know how you feel about it overall though. Yeah. I was talking with my sister on the drive up to my parents' place and, you know, we got, I've got here a couple days early because of this giant storm that's happening in most of the U S and Canada, uh, at least on the Eastern uh, side. Um, But yeah, we were both saying that it doesn't, I don't know. I guess with the pandemic and just getting older and like the years go by quicker and then you get to, and our winters are weird in the sense that they, I feel like they don't start until you know, January sometimes, but it is snowy outside, which makes it um, a little feel a little bit more Christmassy. I haven't watched many Christmas movies this year. You know, Nevis and I went to, uh, you know, Winter Fest at Canada's Wonderland last weekend, which kind of got us in the Christmas spirit a little bit. We were talking about the Muppet Christmas, uh, Muppet Family Christmas and Muppet Christmas Carol. We've had a feud back and forth on, on Twitter about that. But um, you know, I, I think it will kick in tomorrow, Christmas Eve. My mom always has like a, a Christmas Eve gathering. It just with this weather, I don't know if very many people will be able to make it down to to Newcastle to stop in. But um, it, you know, I, I'm getting into the Christmas spirit. It's starting to feel like that. I mean, sitting at my parents' house last night and watching Christmas specials with them, like the Muppets one, like Peanuts. Uh, we put on the amc plus exclusive christmas with the campbells which has justin long um and uh uh it's it's basically a satire of the hallmark movies but it's like a raunchy r-rated version um of them i only watched about half of it before i went to bed but my mom loves that kind of crap and i was like oh you should put this on and uh uh, this is turning into a normal podcast, not Babylon. We'll get there. I promise. <laughs> um, but, going on, so, you know. Yeah. But I thought it was uh, Justin Long was funny because he's putting on that kind of classic, like, you know, uh, hometown boy that wears plaid and has a dog and, and puts on the, he puts on this like 
kind of southern accent but like cowboy accent and he just kept cracking me up but the movie itself is like his 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 actual real life performance is yeah from barbarian so yeah exactly barbarian playing the character in this satire hallmark movies yeah exactly exactly um but enough about christmas enough about i mean i guess this movie's coming out at christmas so at, at least it is a little relevant but uh, let's get into it. Damien Chazelle's Babylon, a movie we saw a couple weeks ago or a month ago, Eric. I, a month ago. We saw I think we saw it at yeah. the beginning of December or mid December for awards consideration. Uh, we saw it at the Tiff Bell Lightbox uh, with a Q&A followed uh, afterwards that Cameron Bailey moderated with writer director Damien Chazelle. And um, there's a lot to discuss here. It's a strangely uh divisive movie uh between yeah. not only polarizing for sure not only between critics and audiences but even between critics themselves you know some people applaud it for the audacious swings it's taking and some people kind of feel that it's a little bit uh redundant after uh the first act or you know is basically style over substance in a lot of ways but um you know, it's it's going to be a fun one to discuss, and I think it's a movie that both of us uh, enjoyed. And what I'm most surprised with is how much you love the movie, because, you know, you, you liked La La Land a lot, but you also have been on record talking about that maybe Damien Chazelle's kind of a hit or miss filmmaker for you, especially with, you know... It's one on, one Lash, off for me. <laughs> but you didn't love it, and then yeah. First Man, you could take or leave for what it is, but this really connected with you yeah and i think you know there are some connections with la la land so i guess that kind of makes sense which we'll get into a bit later um but yeah you know what he's been hit or miss for me like i remember seeing whiplash after the hype from sundance all the way down to when it came out and i remember being kind of underwhelmed with it and then i've gone back and rewatched whiplash and appreciate it a bit more and 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 do enjoy that movie and the performances especially but um this guy loves jazz that's for sure though <laughs> so um, jazz after right. do you like jazz uh i love absolutely love la la land first man i should give another shot because of the circumstances where we saw that where we were like fourth row at Cinesphere, watching it in IMAX beside Denny Villeneuve. We were too <laughs> like, close to Denny. Um, and I kept, one, wanting to see Denny Villeneuve's reaction, and two, that movie um, made me nauseous um, just because we were sitting so close to the screen and the cinematography in that movie being weirdly shaky camish at times. And um, also in close-up, an extreme close-up. Yeah. Right? It was very personal and very intimate, but it was more restrained and 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 introspective than babylon it almost feels like babylon is you know on one side of the spectrum of damien chazelle first man you know, is on the other and then, yeah. yeah and and it's almost like a response it's like okay i made this kind of more internalized movie um now let's picking... fucking smash you in the face with the uh, elephant shit um, yeah and that's literally. only the first 30 minutes like literally yeah, and, in, the uh, first, and, in the first act basically and i've said this is kind of the year of you know maximalist filmmaking isn't necessarily like a a new thing but this year especially i just feel like and you've said this like maybe post pandemic post kind of whatever the reason is that some filmmakers just want to fucking throw it all out there. And I feel like this is one of those movies. And we got that this year with everything everywhere all at once. 
Babylon, um, RRR, even Top Gun Maverick to an extent. Um, and Elvis I think as well. Be, and Elvis is is up there. And those movies are always going to be polarizing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, Top Gun Maverick's maybe on the safer side of things where it is just a, an enjoyable blockbuster. But what all those other movies that I mentioned – uh, very much are those love them or hate them kind of movies. Like you're you're going to be on its wavelength or you're not going to be. And you're going to know that pretty early in the movie. <laughs> um, like I tried watching this with my wife the other night and, you know, 15 minutes in, she was like, I don't want to watch this. And I was like, you know what? I understand. <laughs> and like it's one of those movies where you, you don't even really want to argue with people if they don't like it, because I think in any of those, if it's just not your cup of tea, um, it's not going to be your cup of tea. I personally uh, absolutely a love this movie. Coke, okay? Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just a splash of Coke in your face. Um, yeah. I just, I, 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 when watching this, it reminded me of something like Boogie Nights or um, it, it just this, or this weird, like um, sleazy, uh, cousin to La La Land. Um, and that's why I kind of really vibed with it. Like I liked taking this look of just this debaucherous kind of vile, crude look at, at, at filmmaking in the, in the 1920s and that transition from silent films to talkies and just, um, this character piece on, you know, this group of actors and, 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 uh, group of industry actors but then also just industry figures yeah writers, and things like that yeah. and i love movies about hollywood too which hollywood loves movies about hollywood but like um i love a bombastic stylish kind of out there movie if i'm on its wavelength and this one got me from the start and i think the score is incredible i think the cinematography is like lush and 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 has depth to it and it, it, you can tell like he shot it on film and you can tell and it just which is, i think was a good call for this movie yeah and, linus um, sandgren is really good with texture and kind of creating a a, a sort not only just a, a, a an atmosphere to the time but also there's something about the colors of this movie yeah that portray the period really well and it kind of really, feels really like well. you're you're completely invested in it but yeah again if if you're not on this movie's wavelength in that first act it's gonna uh, be you're, a, you're gonna feel those three hours yeah in, what like 10 minutes or so or eight yeah. minutes so it's, but I, it's it was this both season. fuck you to Hollywood. It's also a, a love letter to Hollywood and, and movies, I guess, more so than As Hollywood. people are saying, and, like, it's, 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 a, it's a love letter to cinema. The yeah, which cinema. I know. But, you know, it, it is it's showing like I love making movies. I love the art of making movies. And um, but this Hollywood system has been fucked for a long time. And like, and, and the people that it chews up and spits out and, and, you know, both in the industry side and on screen and everything in between. And I think this movie does a, a good job of in, in a sensational kind of way, a heightened way um, showing you kind of what it was like and what it still is. And I think, um, you know, I think it's both just a, uh, uh an engaging wild not like crime drama but it gets to those points it's just like it's literally everything it in has the thriller sink. elements and i think that's like yeah. yeah and and that's what the stuff that i was not expecting and i feel like you know it is long it's it's grueling at times because of kind of what it tackles and how it tackles it but i think uh margot robbie is excellent i think diego calva is is fantastic I think Brad Kit, Brad Kit, Brad Pitt is perfectly <laughs> Brad Kitt. cast. 
um, perfectly cast. It's a media as this team, Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, uh, I love Gene Smart. I like Lee Jun Lee. Um, Toby McGuire's fantastic. Um, you know, Spike Jones and like the, all these people that are kind of thrown into this movie. That like you know, the Spike Jones character, especially just being like, you're either going to be in on this or you're not, and like you're either just going to fucking hate this or you're going to love it. And it is just kind of one of those coin toss movies. And depending on if you like those other movies that I talked about, you might. But I also know people who like those other movies that hated this as well. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it as this kind of, um, you know, uh, debaucherous step cousin to La La Land, like the score. Um, Justin Hurwitz's score, I think, is absolutely incredible. But at times you're like this sounds like his La La Land score and like uh, multiple times throughout it. But then, you know, Voodoo Mama is such like, I've been listening to it over and over and over again. That one piece of score from this movie. Um, I think it's a wild, absolute blast. And um, I, I, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I said this on our, our show last week, but I really, really loved it. Yeah. And, and I think like, you know, you mentioned the, the, the cliched saying that it's a love letter to cinema. I think the other cliched saying that I think is somewhat apt in this discussion is that when it comes to a thing that you love, especially an industry that makes the things that you consume on, you know, a, a weekly, daily, you know, monthly basis, that's for entertainment, you have to take the good and the bad and what's kind of given to you and, and accept them both. You can't simply erase, you know, the, the horrible aspects of, you know, the Hollywood industry as, as, as it kind of was moving in its infancy, you know, um, you mentioned Boogie Nights. Like I do feel that the elevator pitch, you know, when he was kind of working on this was probably like, you know, it's Boogie it's Nights and La La <laughs> Well, Boogie Nights and Singing in the Rain, right? Like it Singing in the Rain, like yeah, that's a good those, point, which is very those literally. Those are the two intersections, but I want to go to the Boogie Nights thing because I think there's a lot of comparisons you can make to both of those. Immediately movies. what I thought, yeah, with the starting up fresh in the industry kind of like, yep. yeah, go ahead. You're, yeah. yeah, no, 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 that's, that's, that's the perfect kind of starting point because in the beginning of Boogie Nights – the 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 porn industry the adult industry has already been established it's in the 1970s so you're going from 70s to 80s and this you're going from 20s to 30s the invention of video changed the adult landscape because adult films were released theatrically especially in new york at that period so you could see them on film but then when the 80s came into play you had you know the vhs era starting to creep in so it made things more easy to distribute and what have you with babylon you have the silent era transitioning into talkies and how sound played a pivotal role in changing the way that people watched and listened to movies and not just had, you know, a piano player uh, adding in the score live as you're watching the film. And that also creates redundancies, right? Like the feeling of like, you know, you're inadequate uh, to adapt to the next stage. And then the mm -hmm. other thing that, um, Damien Chazelle does that Paul Thomas Anderson does a lot in his movies and not just Boogie Nights is that he'll take historical figures or references and bring them into his movies, but he'll um, sort of add sort of 
layers to them that aren't actually based on the person that he was inspired by. So they're, uh, you know, uh, analogous to the person he's referencing. So someone like Margot Robbie, who's playing uh, Nellie Leroy, is actually based on Clara Bow. Um, but she's not named Clara Bow, right? And so yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson does a lot of that as well, where he'll take a figure that he's inspired by that actually exists, but then brings them into his universe and then changes their name and uses them as a, as a stand-in for that person or, or a monolith, a representation of who he's referencing. And that way you can kind of, you know, narratively play with the structure yeah creative liberty of like kind of yeah exactly yeah so there's a lot of that and then with the singing in the rain stuff like thematically and 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 story-wise it's very similar with the change of the tide i mean you know the artist did a little bit of that as well but you know the other elevator pitch that you could do with this is that it's the you know babylon is the artist but if it fucked and (laughs) you know this is one of those movies that does feel like damien chazelle is kind of going for broke in a lot of ways and and not in a desperate kind of sweaty way that a lot of the characters are especially with the turning of you know this new technology being introduced but Chazelle after making La La Land with First Man you know not being the success it was but having the cachet of winning you know the directing Oscar at such a young age and you know being able to have the the keys to the kingdom First Man not doing as well and now with Babylon it almost kind of feels like okay well if I'm not going to be able to make this kind of movie ever again i might as well throw it all out there yeah and Mm -hmm. and just go for it and and he does i would say my 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 biggest negative towards the film is that even though it is a very um you know chaotic movie it is a very kind of you know grandiose and gaudy and grotesque film it's still very controlled you know you look at someone like another comparison is someone like francis ford coppola who after making the godfather had basically a blank check to do whatever he wanted even though he put a lot of money his own money into making apocalypse now but the 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 making of apocalypse now is just as interesting as the film itself and it's almost as um lurid and dangerous as you know, the film where Babylon, what's being depicted on screen is salacious and vivacious, but it's not like you feel like everybody's safe, you know, making the movie, Sure, you know, like it's very controlled. I mean, yes, the pandemic is still going on and there are rules and regulations that they were going about. But when you, when you see the behind the scenes of, you know, apocalypse now, you start to worry about like, Oh my God, like, you know, people were having heart attacks, you know, they, they were, they were killing real bulls, in the making of this thing um you know like people were actually in danger you know you never feel that with so you don't think that elephant actually shit on those people at the beginning or no i don't <laughs> but but what i'm trying to say is that there's there's a controlled chaos in all sure of this. and i kind of it's like look how you know flashy this is and how out of control this is but then you go and look at movies like even like Fitzcarraldo or you know Sallow or something like that is that just a sign of the times though where everything's a little bit more controlled now like I just feel like it and and it's still a really it's still a really good movie and I still really love how outlandish it is and how again like just 
it's it's swinging for the fences but it doesn't seem spontaneous i i agree with you that it just it does feel like this is very much my vision and like you can tell that in the cinematography and like the lavish kind of like big set pieces even of of the movie making of movie making right of just like that kind of showing the big i don't know there's a couple really great sequences um there's one where they're shooting a big war epic where they run out of film as they're shooting this is the scene with spike jones's character uh who's a stand-in for eric uh von stronheim uh the director of greed and who is in uh, yeah sunset boulevard basically yeah and then manny has to go get a uh some more film so it kind of it does a cutting back and forth of manny going to this film and them trying to not lose the sunlight uh, of this one sequence and there's another sequence with margot robbie's character when they are transitioning over to sound which i think eric you you mentioned when after the movie and i completely agree that i think it's one of the best scenes in the film that really kind of captures that transition from silent film to talkies and how the actors and all the crew we're adjusting to that and 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 it, it at times is anxiety inducing i think especially in that moment and i think that is one of the best sequences and there's multiple times of that where it reminds me of yeah in a pta movie when you're looking for like a really great you know that one shot or or something like that like this movie has those moments that aren't necessarily like uh look at how elaborate this one shot is but it's just a sequence and the editing and the repetitiveness especially of that sequence with margot robbie and the and the sound that is that controlled chaos but isn't on that vile sex and drugs and and violence side of thing it is on the movie making side and then that's the stuff that i really loved as well it's all about frustration in that sequence like you're watching it and and it's something that is you know, what is being depicted on screen or what is being shot is a moment that is so simple. You know, somebody comes into a room and puts their briefcase down, says a line, moves to the phone. The blocking is just, you know, it's it's very typical of, of an introduction sequence. If, if you're looking at it from our eyes today, yeah. <laughs> yes, but, but, but even, even filming it. You know, like, sure. like, like without, like if you remove the sound component, like if they were shooting this, yes. yeah. you know, without sound, you know, but now they, they have to incorporate that. It goes from what should be a very simple task to extremely frustrating to life threatening. And it's yeah. one of those things where like, you know, it escalates in a manner that felt almost like a scene in uncut gems where something as simple yeah. as, you know, a security device not working in a moment and a door not working or opening properly <laughs> yeah. becomes, you know, the antithesis of the scene and you become almost, you know, you're on the edge of your seat, but not in, in a suspenseful manner. You're on the edge of your seat because you can't relax. You're you're at a at a at a moment of of complete and utter just tension and anxiety and you're waiting for that release and Chazelle toys with you in such a perfect manner and the way that Robbie you know it's also hot in this studio because they have to turn the air conditioning off because because the sound the (laughs) the smallest sound will have to get them to start back from the the first take again you know they can't just simply keep going and fix it in post because it's 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 you know live to record in the early days of everything yeah yeah and so that sequence is just like you take that it's alone perfect. out it's of the great, movie yeah. is is an amazing piece of direction it's also showcasing 
not only, you know, the early adoption of, of technology and how sensitive it is, but it's also showing you who's in control of that scene. Because you have Olivia Hamilton directing the scene. And this is another thing that's really important about this movie is it's showing you this was a time when women and people of color had more control. And going back to the Boogie Nights comparison, you know, the people in the adult industry were always looked down upon because it was a lower form of entertainment or was kind of not even considered entertainment. So when, you know, Hollywood was in its infancy, a lot of people looked at it as a lower form of, of the arts or not even that, right? So people that were not afforded opportunities elsewhere were able to make a living making movies. And so you had people in, in real life like Mary Pickford or you know, um, Alice Guy Blanche or Oscar Michaud making movies, whether it be in the studio system or independently outside. And then as soon as, you know, silent era cinema and into the talkies started making money, men came in and took over again. Took and over, said that yeah. this is this is this is ours now because it is we see profitable. what it can do. <laughs> yeah. And it's lucrative. Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting point because there's there's a lot of issues with the industry even now even more so than there was in the 1920s and 30s but you see at the beginning of that time that for all the problems that there there there, there were at that point there were also moments of, of progress in that period before capitalism yeah. takes over and i think that that's another important underlining thing where like again like you have diego calva who you know, a lot of people will be introduced to him for the first time in this movie as as the lead. He's the grounding force of this film, but he still he is, has yeah. that wide-eyed kind of, I love the movies as much as him falling in love with Margot Robbie's character as Manny Torres and him wanting to become sort of, you know, a behind-the-scenes sort of player and, and, and a studio exec and working for uh, Kinoscope. And so his progression is really interesting. And it's almost like Margot Robbie and, and Diego Calva split the difference in the Dirk Diggler, Diggler kind of yes, storyline where they're yeah. kind of almost both those characters because they're coming in at a point where they're, you know, still fresh or new to the industry where you look at someone like Brad Pitt's character, Jack Conrad, who's this movie matinee idol already well-established um, but also at a, period of time where yeah. he's having trouble adjusting to the talkie period so you know and, there's a, and him getting older and him kind of not being you know the guy anymore yeah and feeling and again like it's it, i think this is one of the few movies that kind of looks at ageism in an interesting way because it's almost like it's saying that oh well you're yesterday's news in a lot of ways and and, and there's a great scene with gene smart who plays a like a gossip tabloid. columnist yeah gossip columnist and great scene with gene smart and brad pitt i think one of uh one of the better kind of monologues that is sort of spoon feeding you what the movie's saying about chewing you up and spitting you out in hollywood but i thought was executed so well with gene smart of just delivering this to brad pitt and him finally going like fuck <laughs> like like yeah. in that sequence and finally kind of understanding what was happening to him and what hollywood kind of does even then and and still to this day kind of still still does right yeah well I, I mean like then it was okay well you're not you know connecting with an audience with the new technology you know in in 
and and this is in general this isn't even just in the last you know 40 50 years but you look at like even you know women you know women get yep. to a certain age and being kind of cycled out of the system and thrown totally, to the yeah. side and you know it's it's making a point there with how you know a lot of these people made their livelihoods on this and they didn't know where else to turn and there was a lot of depression and suicide and and just issues of of where 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 do you go because you're basically you, you still are capable of making movies you still are capable of of, of coming to set even though a lot but of are these, you okay with the types of movies that you're making now or the rules yeah, that you're and, getting and i think again like we've gotten to this place where now comeback narratives are very common you know there's there's this thing where you know if you haven't seen an actor i mean Brendan Fraser is that this year is with the, the whale now, yeah. in, in, in a lot of ways, but there is this thing where you know a, a, a new generation of filmmakers comes in, and this wasn't at the time because it was at the beginning of it all. But a new generation of filmmakers that maybe grew up with the past generation of films that they watched bring back those actors that they love in roles that you know give them that new boost again going back to boogie nights with someone like burt reynolds who yeah you know at that period of time was you know kind of considered a 70s has been and then gets put in this role as a, as a porn director and producer and it kind of revitalized his career and even tarantino you know with john travolta yeah so, travolta yeah you, you look at that and kind of, you know, that's the one thing that, that Gene Smart doesn't really talk about because it hadn't really come across yet at that yeah. point. And then yeah. also, again, you have, you know, someone like Joven Adepo who's playing a trumpet player and yeah. he's brought into the system as, you know, he's a musician first and a uh, movie star second. And, and again, it's kind of looking at how exploitative and also disgusting the industry treats him and there's this moment that uses blackface that is very uncomfortable and disturbing. But I think, again, it's needed to show that you have to take the good with the bad. You have to look at, I mean, that, I mean, even today there are, are still people using blackface and it's just like, what are you doing? I mean, our own prime minister, you know, has been called yeah. out on garbage like that. But, but at the time that this, you know, this even is in the depicted, movies, like I know I was talking was, with Nevis was, th yeah, no, that was thing, a common, right? yeah. common thing, especially, you know, white actors, you know, playing, you know, African-American leads or, well, there's or even Asian. the conversation with avatar right now too. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get into it, but uh, of, of cultural appropriation with avatar. And like, even though they're, you know alien blue cat people of just like where cameron and that whole team took their stories from and created the navi and and you have white actors playing you know and doing accents and and just everything that, that they, they've taken from the navi it's so it's still happening even in like major and there's more of a conversation there so we won't get into it here but like but then zoe saldana even in the was it the nina simone movie i remember talking like there was a controversy there too of her you know darkening her skin for that that role which reminded me of this so it's like and that movie was pretty recent right like and it's not necessarily our our place to talk no. about some of those things but but it is brought just, up in the film and it's a part of yeah the well the, i'm just saying and it's still happening movie. or those yeah. conversations are still happening it doesn't mean uh what's right what's wrong and you know people take roles and do things for different reasons but this movie depicts that in the 20s of this being such like a normal thing and even like you know someone who just has to darken their skin to fit in with the rest of the 
the band and it is disturbing and it is uh, I think necessary to talk about it is kind of like a B or C plot in the movie the whole um, that that storyline but I think um, it's still there's so much in here that I still think that it's definitely uh, handled handled well and all kind of comes together properly but yeah there's so much like you forget that like Catherine Waterson's in this movie Olivia Wilde is in this movie Flea well, is in this movie you have four um, actors from the Wolf of Wall Street and yeah two from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's just kind of like it's it's yeah there's so many people and so much going on and so many plot lines that you're following in that core group of characters like even someone like you know Lee Jun Lee you know yeah who I think is underwritten in some regards brings more to the role than what's there. And I, you feel like, Oh man, I'm surprised my girl's pussy didn't get nominated for best. Well, song. it's, it, it can't because it's, it's based on a, <laughs> I, a pre-existing know, song, just, but, but, but yeah. like she's so good in this movie that you kind of wish either Chazelle gave that character more, more depth or more time yeah. Or, you know, like you'd love to see another film with her because, you know, her story feels like it hasn't finished yet. And, yeah. you know, she's also a surrogate for um, uh, Anna Mae Wong, who is the first kind of um, sort of superstar Asian-American actor in Hollywood. And so, again, like there's there's so much to kind of contend with when you're watching this movie that the first time you do watch it, I think you're kind of blown over by the sheer oh, yeah. spectacle of it all that you need time to process it and, and, and kind of think about it afterwards. And then I've been wanting to see it again. Like, and it, it's playing in 70 millimeter at varsity in Toronto. So anyone who lives is. in Toronto, uh, go see it in 70 mil at varsity. That's what I will be doing um, next week after in the little Christmas break. Cause I've wanted to watch it again. And again, I said, I said, I tried watching it with my wife on a, on an award screener. Um, but I, uh, she was not having it. So <laughs> we turned it off, which is, you know, understandable. Um, I just think it's going to be one of those movies, like even seeing someone like Jeff Garland in the movie, uh, who, you know, has been removed from other things recently. So I was surprised that they would keep him in this, but we talked about like him playing a studio executive, um, and also resembling Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein as well. That yeah. it just like it kind of almost I understand keeping him in the movie in that role. Like, not that I'm condoning, you know, Jeff Garland at all. And like his role probably could have been easily, you know, removed or anything like that. But it's almost like that weird meta thing of just being like, okay, shitty dude playing shitty character okay i guess we can maybe leave this in because there's some commentary there as well not that in the future uh you hope that he doesn't work with them or anything but um i just love seeing flea pop up and stuff too and play flea playing a studio executive i'm like hell yeah well that's also uh, interesting casting because again flea and spike jones are guys that are outside you know when they started yeah. their own careers they were outside of the industry they were independent you know of being yeah uh you know red hot chili peppers but also with with spike jones you know being, a, being skateboarder, a skateboarder yeah and then kind of being you know a part of the jackass crew and then becoming an independent filmmaker and, and music video director and he was kind those guys are always outsiders looking in and then to see them in this movie being you know established you know um industry types 
that are controlling the facets of what's going on behind the scenes. And even there's, there's such a great little subtle moment and the movie doesn't have many of those uh, where <laughs> you see, you know, um, Diego Calva's character having kind of risen through the ranks and it's, it's during the, the sound recording sequence or afterwards where he's taking a smoke break and Flea's character who, who Manny uh, D- uh, Diego Calva's character used to work for, sees him again and you know he as soon as he sees flea he puts out the cigarette and kind of stands in a kind of attentive kind of like you know i'm I'm ready to you know do whatever you tell me to do in that kind of authoritative way so it kind of shows the the respect and fear that flea's character in this movie um you know extrapolates in that way so it's like those things i really love as well and again like you're looking like that fine. We, we didn't talk about it much and we don't want to spoil it, but that final act as well, I think is truly some of the most daring, like it, it could be easily, you know, brushed off as pretentious if you don't like it, but like what it does in this final moment. And again, it goes At back the theater? to theater. Is that what you're talking yes, about? With La La yeah. Land and Whiplash and how Chazelle is able to kind of, you know, sum a movie up pretty well and kind of leave you on, I loved it. But yeah, I understand someone would roll their eyes at it, but yeah. I, I'll just say this. It's the best Avatar movie this year. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love it. And the movie's out now, so like we didn't say it's filled with spoilers, but I'm sure anyone listening to this maybe has gone to see it, but uh and I won't spoil it. But yeah, that last sequence in in the theater, which we've already touched on singing in the rain and and, and everything as well, but like um, it's very on the nose. It's very, um, again, like you said, there's not much subtlety in this movie, which I'm kind of okay with like lately, um, down with subtlety. <laughs> Just give me blatant in your face. Down with the subtlety. Um, um, yeah, I love that last sequence. Like, again, I was kind of in awe, uh, of the movie and I, I, I'm excited to watch it again and watch it on film and, um, and, didn't talk much toby mcguire rules in this as well that whole sequence is just very weird and um and perfect well, the, again um, it's been compared to alfred molina and boogie nights and exactly toby there's Maguire's so much like, boogie nights in this toby mcguire is such an interesting guy as well because you hear about his reputation outside of you know him as an actor um and like the depiction of him in even molly's game right the the, the version of him that michael Sarah played is kind of like that um, assholeish poker celebrity poker player and kind yeah. of who, like literally destroys other people's lives and then you watch this and you're like man toby mcguire has got to be twisted <laughs> no he definitely is dude you can see it like he both seems like a nice guy and someone who fucking hates everything right like and i feel like he's perfect in this and like yeah every th- every time you uh kind of see him uh outside of of everything like his dealings with the paparazzi and i kind of appreciate him for all of that but then you see him like going popping up at showings of babylon and giving people like champagne in the crowd and and stuff like that um this past weekend um or yes never thought i'd be afraid of of toby mcguire but this movie will make you fear the man (laughs) (laughs) have you watched any of those videos of him dealing with paparazzi i'm afraid of that guy too man (laughs) like just his death stares and him just going like don't don't fuck with me <laughs> like it's like oh this guy has a temper and in this movie it's captured in such a, his eyes and the the bags that they put in his eyes and like how his makeup is done i think is just like so perfect but yeah well, i think the movie is a- as well you said this as well coming out of the screening 
and it, it, I, I keep thinking about it as well. It's, 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 you know, basically Boogie Nights, but if, if Stefan was telling you about it from SNL, right? Where. Oh, yes. Thank you. I forgot what I tweeted, but like, I said, like, the Stefan, Stefan version would be, Stefan would be the Toby Maguire character. Telling oh, absolutely. It kind of feels yeah. Like Toby Maguire is almost based on Stefan. Playing Stefan. No, and that's what I mean. I said, if, if Stefan directed, uh, you know, a fucked up version of La La Land, is like, this movie has everything elephant shit, a woman peeing on a fat guy is like, uh, a, an underground sex dungeon cave is like Spider-Man with, uh, as a heroin addict or whatever is just like uh, list out any wild thing. Um, and, and this movie has it. So that's what it kind of reminded me of right after is like uh, New York's hottest club is Babylon. <laughs> it's like, uh, but it's it in LA. Everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah LA's hottest gator. club would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. G- there's so much in this movie and but it feels it, again, like it does become barbarian at one moment <laughs> it really does movie. um uh, and i love it but uh i understand if you don't i'm gonna give the movie a 4.5 i really um really really liked it a lot i'm gonna give it a four out of five but that could go up on a rewatch and again like it is also very obnoxious but i think it's the oh, kind totally. of obnoxious that works for the tone of what the movie is depicting and it, there's also kind of you know it's the rise and fall narrative so there are a lot of scenes where, you know, the party's over and, and things kind of get a little bit more depressing. But um, overall, I think it's well balanced. And it's again, like it, it's one of those movies you need to see to believe and you need to see it on the big screen. I agree with that. Again, go see it on film. I'm sure most major cities are having that 70 millimeter. Uh, I don't know. I'm just saying that. But like it doesn't happen very often. And Paramount hasn't really done anything on film in recent memory from my understanding. So I'm, I, I'm not surprised, but also thrilled that they're putting this on 70 millimeter in, in certain theaters. Cause it does make sense with the look of the movie and the time period and everything like that. Like, and just how lavish and, and grand it is that I think seeing it on film will be, will be awesome. So I'm excited to do that. Um, thank you all. Uh, snorts. <laughs> Uh, I think we'll have one more uh, podcast. I know we didn't talk about Justin Hurwitz's score that much, but I did say it was fantastic. I really, yeah. really do think it's great. Um, he just, do you like jazz? Um, one more podcast before the end of the year. Eric and I um, next week will be doing our most anticipated films of 2023. Um, so that'll be on our main show, which is Untitled Movie Podcast. Uh, you can get that on all podcast services, YouTube, one-stop shop over on letterbox which is untitled uh underscore movies uh we have a couple more reviews it's been a little slower at the end of the year but we do have some stuff up we have avatar the way of water which i have seen twice now um i did go see it again uh we might be doing a another kind of conversation about avatar maybe at the beginning of next year or maybe next week we'll see um also guardians of the galaxy holiday special bones and all um we did our best movies of 2022 which is actually probably something you guys should go check out babylon's featured um avatar is not but tar is uh, and rrr um so go check that out which was our last week's episode which is 140 of the untitled movie podcast um quickly on avatar looks way better in a consistent frame rate saw it in 24 frames per second 
It looks great. <laughs> I and Eric, I I put on Gemini Man it's the other day. Consistent frame rate. <laughs> yeah, I put on Gemini Man the other day just because I was like, I just want to. What does consistent HFR look like again? Because I know I hate it, but I put on the 4K um, Blu-ray just to see 60 frames per second, and oh my, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Where if, yeah, if it's bad. And I know people are reluctant to change, much like what this movie um, is kind of depicting from, uh, you know, uh, uh, silent era to talkies. And, and I, you know, people compared the transition to 3D, which didn't work out. And now with this high frame rate business, I'm like, I, I, it doesn't it doesn't look good. And you're all crazy. No. <laughs> like anyone who says it looks good, I will fight you. I will fight you. I hate it. I hate it. It looks so weird um but anyways babylon's good uh thank you all uh happy holidays uh merry christmas happy hanukkah uh happy kwanzaa is that how do you say happy yep. kwanzaa is that like um forget what other holidays uh if i'm missing your holiday festivus. please festivus uh, uh anything you celebrate i hope you're spending time with family and having a great time i know this movie is vile and crass but i'll end it on a <laughs> a positive note uh happy holidays and thank you all for your support this year we'll have one more episode like i said next week which is our most anticipated films of next year should be a fun one um you can follow me on all those social medias at matt Rohrbeck. and i'm eric marchin uh you can find more of my video reviews and interviews oh. on uh, rogerstv.com slash cinema scene i actually had a chance to talk to diego calva for four minutes so you can go, there you check go. that out uh, but he was very nice and um i'm really excited to see where he ends up next because i think the guy is a genuine movie star uh and you can follow me on all the social medias at em6211 and i just wanted to wish matt and matt's family a merry christmas and thank you so much for everything that you do matt because without you the show would not be possible uh, at same all, to so. you same to you my friend same to you uh, until next time. Muppet Family Christmas is the best Muppet I, Christmas movie. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs>